Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 8. In this episode Andrew and his guest David Cameron talk about mistakes new players can make in the game, and how guild ball play can be improved. You got a new favorite show? Been watching HBO. You got a new favorite show? Been watching HBO. You got a new favorite show? Been watching HBO. This is episode 88 of Singled Out. Welcome, David, our guest today. Bruce Willis is a ghost. He is also Brad Pitt. He didn't exist. Tyler Durden was on his head all along. Hello. Hello. This is a spoiler episode. Game of Thrones is on tonight, so we're going to spoil old films. So today we're here to talk about new player mistakes. So I think episode episode two I recorded, I think it's episode two. I'm going to scroll backwards now to my uh, old episodes. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was. I think was. it was. Uh, episode, episode two was called New Mistakes. Now... I actually fairly recently thought I would re-listen to those old episodes and try and do like a, um, a remastered version of them. I don't know why I thought that, um, and listen back to them, and they were frankly terrible. Um, mostly and relevant for a season or two back. Yeah, and um, the audio quality wasn't great. I also then read some of my old blogs, and um, the blogs, the battle ports I used to write, were season one battle ports mostly. And reading back to them now, the game is a different thing. It's a different beast. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, especially season season four. Um, yeah, the game the game was sped up a lot more, and I think if you uh, don't know what you're doing, or you know, if you can make one key mistake, the game can be over before you've even blinked. Yeah, and also we have seen a spike in numbers um, since season four dropped, which suggests that people actually are picking up the game for the first time and want to get involved in it more. So this is <laughs> newbie mistakes episode four or five. I think it's four. Um, <laughs> We'll find out later on when I should read through my back. There's four. It's definitely four. Um, and we're going to talk about new player mistakes, how to approach Guild Ball and get better at it. Ooh. And that sort of stuff. Now, 
David wins tournaments on a pretty much weekly um, basis. <laughs> and my claim to fame is I once hit a podium of a tournament. I once got became third in a 32-man once in season two. Um, so I think in terms of quality of advice, I think Mr. Cameron will probably give better advice than me. Um, but maybe it was longer since I was a new player. Uh, was it, though? Uh, ooh, I've been playing for three years, maybe. Yeah, so not only you better than me, I've been playing longer than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, I ain't, please. <laughs> so, Guild Ball's a complex game. I mean, the rules, once you've got them nailed down, are pretty straightforward. You might find the tournaments, people don't have rulebooks on them at all, ever. I think at Vengeance, when I was doing judge calls, I had to actually look at the rulebook once, and no one had a copy of it on them. No one. Yeah. And it was the first time I looked at a rulebook in a game for maybe over a year, maybe longer than that. So the game rules are okay, but I think it's the level of interactions and the number of moving parts the game has which can make it hard for new players to pick up. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah. No, yeah, I think so. Um, I think the, most, the first most important thing to remember is uh, that Snape kills Dumbledore. Um, and the second thing Did is... <laughs> I didn't I know that. Oh, genuinely? Yeah, I had no idea. Okay, maybe edit that one out, sorry. <laughs> I've made a list Nature here Nature told me Dobby dies. I've made a list of, uh, of movie spoilers to just casually drop in throughout the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll take a break then. You can cut it out if you want. No, no, it's good. Carry on. This is staying in. This is premium content. So, yes, Andrew, I think that's a very good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Guild does have a very simple uh, core rule set. So uh, it's not like I'd say to a new player, I'll go home, read the rule book, and then in three weeks when you finished it, come back to me. Uh, you can easily talk someone through the core rules uh, in, a, in an evening, but it's the number of moving parts and uh, the, the fact that your opponent is always going to have a chance to interrupt your plans uh, means that no, no game ever goes the same and uh, that you can think you're winding up for something very special and then your opponent, because of the way alternating, inter- and alternating activations work, uh, your opponent can completely put a spanner in those works. Yeah, like um, I was at the post office the weekend posting some dice, and the guy who served me was a Blood Bowl player, turns out, uh-huh. and he was asking about Guild Ball and how similar was it. And I said, well, it's not really similar at all. And I was kind of trying to say to him why, whilst a big queue was forming in the post office of inpatient pensioners. <laughs> um, and basically, Blood Bowl tactics, you often see sort of you've got a playbook and your team does this and you spot through eight turns doing your, your drive, whatever. And in Guild Ball, your plan might exist to activations before it's gone. Uh, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So, yeah, because it depends who you're talking to and on what level. But conceptually, I'm pretty sure I have said that Guild Ball is like Blood Bowl in the past. Or at least, like, Guild Ball is to skirmish fantasy games as uh, Blood Bowl is to Warhammer type thing. Uh, but... Yeah, the, the, I think it's the alternating activations is what people can really struggle with, that you don't have half an hour to move your entire army, buff each other, and then make that one big powerful shot at the end. So here's a newbie sort of uh, mistake you can do then. First one, hot of the press. If you have, say, for example, a model, and you go, this model would be great if you had tooled up on them, and plus two movement, and um, a freak out to play, that could be three activations, you're winding something up. And if your opponent can control that model that's being tooled up and powered up, or lock them down somehow, or just move away, you could be wasting most of your turn doing something. And I think activation cost can be quite a big factor. Uh, certainly true, yeah. Um, uh, probably a lot of what people say are starter teams, so maybe even the uh, uh, the kickoff box set, 
have a lot of buffs for individual models to make one activation really great. And then one of the things you'll learn is that people will try and control that model, or even if they can't control it, run away from it. Uh, and again, it's, it's alternating activations. You can flag up that you're planning one big swing, and if your opponent yeah can can control them or just run away, they're completely new to that activation. So that maybe comes on to a, another really important point for newbies is to learn as much as you can what your opponent what your opponent's models can do. Don't just learn yours. Do try and read around the most powerful people on the block, uh, the most powerful models, and, and what they can do to stop you in your tracks. Yeah, um, starting information, for example, known models, threat ranges, that's pretty much a must. Um, yeah. And of course, this game's open information, so you can ask them this stuff during a game, although if it's a tournament game, it might be on the clock, on your clock. So I recommend you get one of the apps on your phone or device, and when you're at work, on the toilet, read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we all do, I'm sure. Um yeah, no. There's 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 two big uh, two big apps. Uh, one is called uh, GB Manager. I think that's the official one that's used by Steamforge Games, so, and it's free, completely free. So I'd, I'd advise anyone to download that. Uh, and the other one is GB Keeper. That's uh, not official, but for me, probably has a slightly better user in- interface. Yeah, so. I, I think I prefer Keeper in terms of the way it handles, in terms of looking at cards and things. I think so. I think so. Uh, and they both, I think they both, as far as I'm aware, have the rulebook on there. Uh, yeah, they do. So, so if you uh, said no one in the room had a rulebook well. on them, well, if anyone has the app, you can pull up the rulebook. Uh, which I said I wouldn't send people away to read it, but you can read it in an evening quite quite happily. So being aware of model set ranges, of course, really important. Also being aware of what models have a 2-inch melee compared to 1-inch melee can be a big, big difference. If you have a lot of 2-inch and they have a lot of 1-inch, it can in some ways give you a free pass to do... Uh, sorry, a free pass in terms of free ability rather than... a free pass the ball. Um, uh, it can, and it might not be things. obvious to brand new players why it's such a big deal, uh, the difference between having a two-inch melee and a one-inch melee. Uh, a number of times I've gone to attack with a two-inch melee model, and my opponent has said, I'll declare a counter-attack. Uh, and I've had to explain that they can't because <laughs> their model only has a one-inch melee. Uh, that's the type of thing that only playing the game will probably make click in your head uh, that it's a big difference sometimes. I think that kind of brings us also to counterattacks is that be aware of the sort of the first two results on your opponent's playbook because they're probably going to be what they're going to get on a counterattack. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously depending upon their attack values and what army you have and all that. Yeah. Um, don't 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 always worry about that kind of thing when you're first starting out on your first few games. Um, I think learning when to counterattack and when not to counterattack is a bit of a finesse skill that you'll learn you'll learn with time. So that'll be episode uh, 89, Intermediate Mistakes. That could be, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you'll learn it in time, just as we learned that uh, that Neo is the one in The Matrix. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's bad, that's is, that really, is that really a spoiler? <laughs> I don't know. I've got Titanic Sinks written down here as well. <laughs> um, yeah, as well as uh, GB Manager, um, I'd suggest that new players get themselves onto Longshanks as well, because uh, that's again, it's another, it can be a totally free website. Uh, it's the main website that's used for um, uh, for tournaments worldwide. Uh, so if you're looking for a tournament near you or you're looking to see how good you're doing, um, get onto, I think it's longshanks.org um, and and sign up there. Um, yeah, there are a lot of tournaments. I mean, especially in the UK where we are, there's an awful lot, but there's quite a lot worldwide. So if you're unsure, ask. <coughs> yep. Get yourself onto Facebook. Um, there, There is the... Uh, the Guild Ball 
supporters, is that what it is? Uh, Guildhall sure. Events, isn't it, as well? There's Guildhall Events, and that means you don't have to go via Guildhall Supporters. Which, good move. Uh, which is also known as Gubs. Um, so, earlier on you mentioned the um, kickoff box set. What sort of guild yeah. do you think are best for sort of new players, or which guild do you think aren't? That's, that's a very fair question. I think Steamforge probably have it um, in mind that they've... Uh, they, they've put together the kickoff box set, which is the starter set with two two six man teams, and that's got the Masons Guild and the Brewers Guild. And I think they're both relatively easy to learn. They've got um, they they don't pull any. Well, maybe the Masons, but the, the Brewers certainly don't pull any fast ones, and they don't have a ton of rules to remember. And they're quite forgiving um, because they're they're quite they're quite tough models. Uh, yeah, um, one thing worth mentioning, if if you do get into Guild Wars through the Sotterbox set, you want to go onto the website for Steamforged and download the new cards. They have got a file on there for the Season 4 versions of the um, kickoff cards. Fair point, um, fair point. They've changed a little bit here and there. I think um, Brewers are fairly forgiving in terms of they are quite resilient, quite able to take damage. That's true. Um, a fair bit of two-inch melee, at least, in that team. Uh, Masons are also fairly good at fighting and scoring goals as well. Yep. And, um, and they'll they'll teach you about uh, buffs and synergies. Yeah, I think I think butchers are always going to be a good team for new players. Um, that's true. That's true. So the butchers are uh, if if guild ball is between fighting and scoring goals on the pitch, butchers are very much the the epitome of the fighting end of the spectrum. I remember when I first started playing guild ball, um, I was playing my masons a bit of alchemist, most masons into butchers and. My opponent rolled forward with a sort of butcher's six, and of course he had ox and boar. And, um, you know, boar comes rolling towards you, and he sort of one rounds a player with a sort of four attacks. And you go, oh my god, this game's not balanced. Yeah. And you think, how, how OP is that? And then you soon realize, of course, that he charges, and he can be tied down, and he's got very obvious that ranges. And I think um, it's interesting how the game at first can be quite take out heavy or quite take out focused. And then you play a bit more, and you realize how big the goal, goals are. Uh, well, they certainly can be. They're worth twice as much as takeouts. And if you're smart about it, um, takeouts can be a lot harder to get. I think one, maybe one eureka moment for new players will work out the difference between standing 8.9 inches away from veteran bore and 9.1 inches away from veteran bore. In terms of the plastic kits that are out, because I guess they're easy to get hold of, um, there's farmers, blacksmiths, um, falconers, rat catchers. Um... That is a very good point. When you ask what teams are good for new players, one thing you can actually get hold of. It has easily. to be one that is is yeah that is physically possible. I mean, to we'll get. have resident models, um, resident teams rolling out again soon. But um, as of this podcast coming out on the 23rd of April, um, that isn't the case. It will be soon, but not quite now. So um, I think um, I think blacksmiths seem okay. I mean, they've got a bit of a weird mechanic for the captain. They they do. I mean, it, it depends where people are coming from. If they're completely brand new to any kind of miniatures game, uh, perhaps not. But I don't think it takes too long to, to pick up pick up blacksmiths. Farmers have a lot of uh, harvest and reward mechanics. Perhaps I'd stay away from those. But it depends how confident you are um, after you've played a few games. I, I would suggest not uh, jumping from guild to guild. You know, if you if you happen to lose a game. Uh, I'd stick with one guild if you think you you like the flavour of their background. It can be really easy to magpie around, can't it? Um, it, and... it really can. Even for even for seasoned veterans, um, it can be all too easy to have shine a new magpie syndrome. Also, just jump on on the bandwagon. It can be easy to look at someone like um, like when I used to play Warhammer tournaments and War Machine tournaments back in the day. 
Uh-huh. You know, if 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 a good player was doing well with a certain uh, certain faction or army, you'd see a swing towards that 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 army. Um, yeah, and you get a lot of netlists appear. And I think in this game, just because someone's won a tournament with a guild doesn't mean they are necessarily super better than everybody else. I, I agree. So I think Steamforged as a company do a fantastic job balancing uh, all the armies, and it's. I, I I think that the game is as balanced now uh, as it ever has been. It's roughly a ten percent difference, isn't it, between win loss ratios for guilds, isn't it? The between the best and the and the worst. Yeah, roughly guilds. Yeah, which which I think is great. There there is no one clear best team. Um, cough cough for the moment. Um, oh well, as I think as this podcast comes out. Um, but yeah, there's there's possibly a worst one, but. The, the vast majority of them are, yeah, well in the middle of the bell curve. So don't feel like you have to jump around to get the most powerful team. Uh, stick with one that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, asking what guild's best is probably less of a meaningful question than it is in some games. Some yeah, games. Oh, certainly. It's an understandable question that people are going to ask to, to begin with. But I'd, just, I'd watch some videos or even just watch people play in your local club and see whether you, you feel you like running into the middle of the pitch and just beating people over the head or whether you like dodging past them to slot the goal. Uh, sort of goal. Yeah, I think um, play your thing's cool and your thing's looks fun and hopefully you want to paint um, and just go with one that feels feels right to you and I guess the benefit of Guild Wars on the whole six models, they aren't hugely expensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the selling pitch, isn't it? Oh, you only need six models, honestly. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I now own every single guild apart from one. <laughs> yeah, and, and it'll happen. We're, we're gamers. Um, uh, we get uh, We get new toy syndrome. Yeah, it happens a lot. Um, so, let's see, we've covered sort of picking guilds. Um, we've covered a bit about sort of knowing your opponent's cards. So, when you're playing a game, um, you sit down, you sort of hopefully you should look at your opponent's cards and sort of have a bit of a chat about what things do if you're unsure. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, you're going to have to um, choose who kicks and receives. Hmm. What's that all about? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people put a lot of effort into having specific uh, actions for when they kick and specific actions for Look when they Cameron, receive. People are going to do this podcast for the absolute gospel truth about how, to, how best to proceed. New players uh, want uh, your no, advice. The next five minutes is going to be me waffling in what oh. is basically the audio version of a shrug. Uh, <laughs> I don't think... I think in season three, uh, it was very important to receive the ball because that was really your only way of generating momentum for a turn the game is now a lot quicker and the kicking player gets one momentum anyway and i believe from longshanks the kicking team wins the game 53 percent of the time which isn't bad which for me is as close to 50 50 as you're going to make it and so i don't think it's as important as it used to be which you get um so i personally don't mind if i win or lose that role in fact I've, I've often said i prefer to lose the role and make, force my opponent into making the first tough decision of the uh, of of the game at higher levels of strategy there possibly is a preference uh, there are some teams that will want to pin you in place or there are some teams that will want to rush up the board quickly towards you and in, in those situations it might be best for them not to have the ball and so for you to receive the ball because it is an asset that you can use uh, to pass and move around the table. But that's, again, that's probably the level eight level. <laughs> no, episode eight, episode nine. 
Um, if you're a sieve, you probably want to make sure your team's deployed wide enough that you can collect the ball. That's true. That's, that's a, a quick, you know, inverted commas, newbie mistake that I've seen people make. So. Um, if you bunch up too close in the middle, they I'm the ball try and wide kick the ball right get into it. an edge so that you, you can't get it. That's certainly um, something that can really hurt you if you're not, not familiar with the game. Yeah, oh, certainly, yeah. If you can't get the ball, uh, and I do, then it can be it can be a really sad time. So try and spread out. Try and anticipate ahead where I'm going to put the ball uh, and at least one, possibly two models that could get there. Likewise, if they kick with a model who's fast and has maybe two melee, whatever, be aware that they might be trying to get the ball back off you quickly themselves. So be conscious of where you're going with the ball, who's going to. Because, for example, if someone kicks with, say, a fast model, like um, a fisherman player like Shark, mm. chances are they're going to try and get the ball off of you straight away and score a goal or whatever. So be conscious of where it's going. Now, that's a mistake that you probably will fall into multiple times. Um, and it might be a case of if you ever see it to know what happens. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I think a lot, a lot of scenarios like that you have to fall victim to them at least once but in still, order to understand why it was a bad idea. Off. Likewise, if you're going to kick... Kicking with a model that's fast and has good threat and good ability to get the ball back can be very strong. And don't feel that you have to kick the ball towards your opponent's models. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, um, Kicking and receiving also, for one of the big advantages of kicking the ball is that you will most likely have the last activation of the turn. And I think that's one thing that new players perhaps don't recognise. Perhaps it's another level of strategy, but that having the last activation in a turn and setting up for the turn after can be more important than what's going to happen this turn. Yeah, for example, say if you receive the ball and you manage to get a goal, you can pass the ball around, get some momentum, manage to get a goal at the end of the first turn and your striker or whoever it is is in your opponent's half of the pitch and your opponent has last activation because they kicked and they've got a muzzle with influence on it the chances are they can go up to your striker, hit them a lot of times, hurt them or whatever, and get a lot of momentum, and then get enough momentum to go first in turn two and potentially delete a model when that, when that turn starts, which means not only have you lost a model, that means in turn two you have six activations and your opponent has five, which means actually they lose out on that you go, I go at the end of the turn again, and you can snowball. Uh, yes, that's that's that. Uh, that also highlights another reason um, uh, or another area of strategy in the game, which is when do you kill a model and when do you not? Uh, there is a term in Guild Ball called keeping someone prisoner, uh, and that refers to deliberately not killing them in one turn in order to be able to kill them at the top of the next turn so that your opponent <coughs> loses them for the whole of that turn. Yeah, if you can kill a model for sure before they've activated. Uh, yes, then your opponent loses the chance to activate them. And that knocks on the fact that your opponent is then likely to get the last activation of that turn as well, even if they went first. Also, if you put a lot of influence on the model and they're killed before they get to activate, you've lost that influence. Then, then yeah. Then yeah likewise, have. if you give models the influence and they're going to die, you probably might ignore them for part of the turn. <laughs> I've, I think that, yeah, I think that used to be the case more than it is now. Um, I don't know why. I've just found that even if, a, if, a, if I'm going to kill a player at the top of a turn uh, to be really cheeky and you know deny your opponent having them at all I will still do that even if they have zero influence on them probably why is that uh, because I think 
having the chance to have last activation is more important to me than my opponent losing one or two influence. I see. If you ignore them for an activation, your opponent could just spend an activation doing nothing with that character except healing four points. Yeah, getting last activation in a turn and then getting first next turn means you get sort of two turns in a row of your opponents just standing there watching you. Yeah, and And to me that's more important than uh, simply trying to uh, reduce how much influence efficiency my opponent has. So that's that's something that I even came up last SteamCon uh, playing a player, uh, and I won't name them, but they... I thought they were a lot more experienced than I think it turned out they were. And uh, at the end of, say, the first or second turn, uh, I had the chance to easily kill a model, and I wasn't. I was you know, taking a momentous dodge result or a momentous one damage result. Um, and that they just asked me out of interest why you could be doing more damage than this. Why aren't you killing this model? Um, and I, that's a question that I've seen come up more than once uh, with newer players. And it's because of this wanting to not kill a person at the end of a turn, because then they come straight back on the pitch, but wanting to kill them at the beginning of a turn uh, to, to hamper your opponent as much as possible. So just, just, just be on the, on the lookout for that. I think also it can be relevant, not entirely linked to that, but also when do you score? Uh, <clears throat> it's not always when you've got the ball. <laughs> it's, it's not always immediately, no. Um, perhaps the more wider question is when do you use influence to get points, or when do you use influence? Uh, to get something in return, be it points or even be it momentum. And it doesn't have to be just because I can. So if you have one player who has four influence on them and one player who have, and two players who have nothing, it's sometimes worth simply moving the players who don't have any influence on them, waiting to see how your opponent reacts, and then activating the player who has influence on them to see how best to position them with, with something that you can actually, you know, in, in, in uh, you know, uh, affect the game with uh, when when to score that entirely depends I think on how you view the game uh, it depends what, what guild you're playing uh, and how how much you like scoring goals as opposed to hiding the ball as a newer player it's probably tempting to put the ball in the back of the net as soon as you can and it's not always a bad idea because that's four points and that's that's better than trying to be clever and not getting to score at all but beware that when you do score your opponent gets to kick out and they get the ball Especially, for example, if, if your opponent is on 8 VP and, and you score a goal and you don't win the game that way, they get the ball back and they need one goal to win. Then they, they could just score, score straight away. Yeah, possibly. I mean, obviously, it depends very much on when the turn is. I mean, maybe that's the last activation of the turn and you've got momentum to go to first again and you get the ball back. And you could score twice in a row. But I've played a bunch of games with new players where they score a goal because they can, and you go, oh, I'm going to win then. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, cer- certainly. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's uh, again, another level of strategy to think, if I hold on to the ball, maybe I could score under a turn from now when I've got two other points somewhere else. Um, but if you hold on to the ball for too long, if you try and be too clever, especially in your first few games, you may never end up scoring that goal at all. Uh, that is true. You, I mean, um, having... Practiced on how to do goal runs. That can be a thing in itself. Go on to it if you want to learn how, to, how that game works. Certainly, uh, even if you just set up a table at home um, and measure out uh, how far a player could run, how far they could kick. Uh, do they have any other abilities on their card, like dodging uh, from something like where did they go? The character play. Uh, you can get an idea of oh, this model can score without even having moved on turn one, or as long as they are near the midway, they can score. 
and again for your and your opponent's models to have a rough idea of where they can score from. So, have we solved Gilboa yet? Is it done? Uh, I think we have. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> Gilboa. It's 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 ever changing. No two games will be the same. The fact that you can change one model in your lineup and the whole game can change based on that uh, means that there'll always be something new to learn. Uh, and even try that um, as a new player. I would suggest people go to tournaments, uh, especially the bigger ones, because the way the tournament system works means that you won't always be forced like a lamb to the slaughter to play the top players all the time. Uh, <coughs> the tournament system shakes things out, so you will play people of your level. Yeah, when I got back into wargaming again in my twenties, after you know after university and all that, I was ah. quite anti-tournaments at first. Thought it's full okay. of full of sort of winner or cost players, and you know it's going to be a negative play experience and that sort of thing. And I think. I realised pretty fast that at a tournament, a big one or a small one, there's only ever going to be one winner. Yes. And if you only go to tournaments to win, you're probably missing out on everything else because I'd say most people at tournaments are quite nice and um, it's a good social scene and you get to talk about a game that you enjoy with people who look at you like, you know, you also enjoy it as well rather than looking at you like, who are you? What's Gilboa? Um <laughs> And, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And I think it's um, a good way of getting involved and just really immersing yourself in the, in the hobby that hopefully you love. Um, and tournaments are a lot about that, I think. So I think uh, certainly, um, I think the Guildhall community is the best gaming community I've ever come across. And certainly, um, people are often much nicer in real life than they are online. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, true. If they have to, if they, if they have to look at you face to face. And generally speaking, because if you lose a game, you go down a bracket and you play with people who have also lost a game. You tend to find that it settles out fairly well into you playing against people who are probably of your skill level. But you have to accept if you're going to play Guild Ball and you want to play it for a while and you want to get good at Guild Ball, I think you have to accept that you're going to lose a lot of games. You will. Uh, you will. That was that was one thing I was going to highlight. Is that although I would recommend definitely people go to tournaments. Um, one thing you have to bear in mind is that at the end of Planet of the Apes, it turns out it was Earth all along. It was. But also. <laughs> it was Earth all along. The maniacs. <laughs> they blew it up. Um, but yes, though, no, you go to tournaments, you will randomly in the first round play Alex Botts, top player in the world. Uh, he probably will beat you. Um, and there's, there's, that's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's something to learn from. You'll see, even if you take one thing away from that game, such as, oh, I forgot that you could do that, or that player's a lot better than I thought they were, or that was a really clever way of putting the ball right in the far corner of the board so I couldn't even touch it, then that's something you can carry over to your next game or at least be aware of. And over time, that experience will build up. And, and most you players know it, get good by playing lots of games and getting reps in and probably losing a lot as well. Oh, certainly. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've lost more games you know, at tournaments than some people have played in tournaments. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's how you learn what things can do. You'll be exposed to a new clever strategy and you'll lose against it almost immediately and the next time you won't fall for it. Well, you might. Well, you might. <laughs> the third time. You, the fourth time you might not fall for it. This time, absolutely, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Embarrassing times like um, when, I, when, I, when I was at Peak Mason playing a Mason Moon match and forgetting about counter charge. Oh, yes. That's... Times. <laughs> Again, and, and it will happen. <laughs> and I've seen it happen at top tournaments on camera 
uh, for people to watch and laugh at forever. Well, last year's um, last year's uh, w- uh, world tournament in, in in the states, yes. there was like three kind of charges that there were. There were. <laughs> Normally, kind of charge is a, is, a, is, an all, is an all way of going near it. You can get charged out of turn, and most of the time, it's a threat that never actually happens. Exactly, yes. um, and because people know about it, but this tournament. All exceptionally good players, and people fell for it numerous times, and there were game-ending moments. Uh, um, yeah, so, so, even so good don't players feel ashamed if it happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> it happens to everyone. So we've covered um, scoring goals and doing takeouts, uh, looking at teams. Um, I feel like we need to plumb more depths. Okay, let's go into some intermediate mistakes then. Ooh. let's do this. Episode eighty-eight <laughs> B. So we're talking before about counterattacks, right? Um, yeah. Certainly, I've played games where a good counter has absolutely ruined my day. Um, Certainly, yeah. Like playing a, a model, maybe, maybe like for example, Honor, who the Mason's um, only real captain, um, with six inf Honor, one inch melee, goes in the model, hits them once, they can't attack and do a two inch push, and you're done. <laughs> yeah. Or it can be done. Uh, obviously, Honor can dodge, but. Um, so I think being aware of what your opponent might do to try and counterplay you can be a big deal. Like being aware of the momentum on the table. For example, can your opponent actually do a counterattack? Can they bonus time things? Um, yes. If your opponent has left themselves without any momentum, say for one activation, and it's fully evident they're planning on making a pass in the next activation and they'll, and they'll get momentum from that, is now the time that you strike when they don't have momentum for a counterattack. In fact, also that's the time. Big itself, isn't it? Really, that's probably a good thing to talk about. Sorry. Managing momentum, actually. Managing momentum, yeah. yeah. Uh, so momentum is obviously the, uh, the a, a big resource in Guild Ball. It's probably slightly less important than it was to hoard now that we have the uh, the uh, gameplay cards instead of uh, the dice rolling mechanic. Um, but it's, it's obviously useful for healing and uh, for bonus timing attacks and for determining who's going to go first in the next turn. I... I don't always necessarily hold to the old adage that you should aim to turn every point of influence in your team into a point of momentum during the turn. If that makes sense. I think it's very dependent upon your, your playbooks and what you want to do with the turn. I think it is, and, and how standoffish your opponent is being. Because I mean, if you're close enough for you to get the most out of all your influence, you're probably close enough for them to get the most out of theirs. Um... It can it can often be well. I, this is going to depend on how how you play. I sometimes find it's better to say take slightly lower damage results if they're momentous as opposed to just the high momentum. It depends the on the high damage that isn't momentous. Way on the sense. turn, if you want to get a takeout on someone that's important, it can be worth doing. Yeah, but generally um, speaking, early early game probably will go for the momentum. Yeah, you just want to build up momentum that allows you to heal the damage that they're doing to you. And keep on the pressure for who's going to get to go first in the next turn. <coughs> Remembering to heal models is a big deal, and often forgotten about. <laughs> uh, oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly can be. Um, and so, when you're looking at your cards or your enemy's cards, any free heals or free condition removal is important to remember as to how efficient they're going to be in that turn. Yes, because a model basically can only have two effective heals in a turn, effectively. One for themselves, one someone else can heal them. Yeah. Um, because either eight hit points or condition and four hit points or whatever. So being aware that, for example, if you stand up by clearing that condition, you can't then heal yourself. Um, can uh, be a big deal. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, certainly. Um, um, as when it comes to counterattacks, you, they don't always have to be uh, likely to come off to be worth declaring. That makes sense. So you might have yes. an opponent who's got a knockdown on one hit. Um, but if declaring your counterattack forces them to take that result, that means that's that's one attack that they're not doing damage. And if whether or not they kill you is 50-50, in inverted commas, losing one attack to having to take a knockdown as opposed to some damage can be more important. Uh, Especially so you, models with Berserk who get more attacks off hurting you, force them to knock it, you down. Yes, that's, that's another really good one. Um, so against Veteran Boar, for example, uh, if you can declare a counterattack, that has some chance of doing something. If it's a pointless counterattack that's only good to do one damage to him, he will ignore it. But if it's a counterattack that could disengage you from combat, so it's on a push. Uh, yes, yeah, it's a push. He may have to declare a knockdown, which massively reduces the total volume of damage he's going to output. So you don't expect to actually get that counterattack off, but it's only cost you one momentum to save one or two attacks worth of damage on your model. Uh, these things often are best after playing a few games, because why it's intermediate mistakes, I guess, because you might be not aware of what they can do, and also exactly. um, the chances of pulling it off. Um, occasionally you see crazy people pulling off cast attacks with, you know, bonus timing it and getting really high results, and it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you can't plan around it, really, that sort of thing. Not, yeah, sometimes, sometimes crazy stuff just happens that you can't possibly be expecting. Intermediate things, um, being aware of threat ranges is all very well, but if your player has the ball on models that haven't gone yet, Bear in mind that pattern moves can move models four inches, and a model that might be out of threat can suddenly be in threat. That's very true. That might affect your decision to whether or not to kick or receive the ball. Um, if you kick the ball, then they're always going to have the chance to um, pass that ball to their big threat model to dodge them another four inches up. Uh, and if you're very unlucky, they might have a, a model with the with something like the rule um, "I'm open," which is a character play that immediately declares a pass back. And then suddenly the big scary model is has dodged another four inches to maybe eight inches closer to you. Yeah, the ball for movement is is a huge deal and often a reason why you don't want to score. It is, yeah. Um, it's why some people will tell new players, or oh, don't score, just use the, the ball as a, a resource uh, just for more more dodges or more momentum. That's, that's all well and good, but if, like me, you like goals the ball is also a way to get points and you've got to win the game at some point. Uh, I'm trying to think of other... Um, to, go, to go back to counterattacks just for a second, um, if someone starts their activation engaging you and declares an attack, it's rarely worth declaring a counterattack because even if you disengage from combat, if they've started their activation close to you, they can most likely just walk <coughs> back into combat and carry on hitting you. Um, if you're planning on winning the momentum race, and you hover through a turn, look at your momentum and your opponents, and look at how much influence is left on the table for your opponent. It might be your opponent's influence is almost all gone, and therefore they can't physically generate much momentum anymore. Uh, that's very true. So that's very true. Being conscious of it, okay, well, I've got five influence, so momentum, sorry. You've got three, but you've only got two influence left on the table. You probably can't get more than two more points. That sort of thing. That, that's true. You'll, you'll see, uh, again, higher players... Even if you're only four activations out of six through the turn, they'll be asking you, oh, just double-check how much influence is on X model, how much is on Y. And that's why they're doing that calculation in their head of how much momentum you can get. It's not always 100% accurate because attacks can completely miss uh, or attacks can do a lot better than you think. And they can wrap around the playbook for, for two results when you really thought they'd get one. 
I think, um, go back to your early thing about guilds, I think Sigma 1, one guild's a good idea. I'm not sure whether minor guilds are a better choice than major guilds, ignoring how easy they are to get hold of in a shop. Yeah, it feels like uh, minor guilds, well, yeah, minor guilds are, they're just so much easier. I don't think we can ignore that fact. Um, um, I'm talking in terms, you- of, terms of how they are, whether they're easy to learn or easy to play. Well, minor guilds, I suppose by definition, have fewer models, so fewer models to learn the rules for. Yeah. And usually one key mechanic that you can base tactics around. So you don't have to think, is there a way to make these butchers a scoring team? Um, which some people do. <laughs> uh, if you're playing with, you know, let's say, the order, you probably are going to get three goals. And their ball of light rule is a key thing that you need to get to know how it works. So I would I would say, and Seamforged have made them a lot more balanced, a lot more uh, competitive uh, in the last few months. So I'd yeah, I'd suggest why not get cracking on a a minor guild box, and it means you really only have to buy one box to get started. Yeah, pretty much. I think um, they all have interesting sort of playstyles, don't they? Um... They do. Yeah. Uh, so say the Falconers Guild, you'll learn all about Harrier markers and just how much people are terrified of them. You'll learn how much fun it is to delete someone from far away. From far, far away. Far, far away. Um, and then if you really enjoy some of those models, if you really enjoy Matagi and you really enjoy Minerva, but want a different challenge, then you could always upgrade to the, the Hunter's Guild. They're gorgeous and resin. So, yeah, they are beautiful models. And they have a giant bear. Oh, the bear. <laughs> um, but I think Gibble is on the surface, rules-wise, once you've got the hang of them federate forward, but I think it's the interactions where the game really comes alive and uh, certainly being aware of all the things the game can do, the models can do. I think I've fallen behind that in, in recent time because there's so many of them. Um, yeah, I was just thinking if you wrote, if you took all the unique character plays and character traits and wrote them down, it might be actually longer than the rule book, or at least the core rules. Yeah. So learning what your opponent's models do and how they interact with each other is the bigger part than actually learning the core rules. I I agree with that. And get out there and play games to do that, really. Um, Get out and play as much as you can. If you find it hard to play in real life, um, get Basel, um, which V-A-S-S-A-L, online by playing Gilball. I wouldn't say it replaces Gilball, but it's certainly good to to try things out. Certainly, yeah. I've, I've played on there a couple of times. And uh, once you've got it. used to hotkeys on it, it's actually not too bad to play, really. Yeah, and there are some people who love it. They're on there all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a testament to just how good the core rules are, I think. Um, there are plenty of things to look at um, in terms of like um, uh, um, lots of YouTube and podcasts and out there. There's lots out there, of course. Don't mention all of them because I get probably get moaned at whoever. <laughs> um, so um, I guess... If, um, you, if you're listening to this, you've found at least one Guildball podcast. Yeah. So just go to yeah, wherever you've got that. And type in Guild Ball again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like, um, yeah. Uh, Bidman is, um, does, 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 is very good. Uh, TNG is good for new players, I think. I think so, yeah. And and they do YouTube videos. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. Do they not do a podcast? TNG? Yeah. I don't think so, do they? Okay. No, scrap that. <laughs> Maybe they do. Sorry. No, I, I don't listen to all the podcasts. So I don't Neither know. do I. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Um, there are plenty of things out there to listen to and watch. Yeah, and but get. nothing is going to compare to getting out there and playing games, not just against your local friends, but against people from all over. Because your local friends will have one particular thing they enjoy doing. Is If you all just run to the middle of the pitch and hit each other, then you won't be prepared for people who run in and score goals all the time. Yeah, certainly it's very easy to develop a sort of meta of sort of two people where you play certain 
style game, then yeah. the tournament, and you get your teeth kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe you you learn a way of playing that no one was ever expecting, or you just learn to be very good. And I know that worked for the New Zealand meta. I was about to say that, but isn't that meta like three people in a sheep and they've won two things, <laughs> and the sheep has won all the tournaments? Yeah, he's a damn good sheep. Ex- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, the current world champion came from a very small meta, um, but it's it's all about how good you are as a player. So even if there's only two of you that want to play, it's worth playing. Um, that was a fairly short episode. I think we're kind of running out of steam. Um, and I think you're running out of spoilers, aren't you? Darth Vader's Luke's dad, that sort of thing. <gasps> oh, that's true. I didn't even say that one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been great to have been in the point of history where that was actually a spoiler? Uh, yeah. I've been quite surprised at first. Our parents' generation. I think I've asked my dad what he thought. And I think it turned out he's never seen it. All oh, right. So he's put it for us. <laughs> but it, must, it was a big shock. Must have been, yeah. Must have been. Um, I guess you're so you're so young though. You watched probably the prequels first. And I, bet you, I bet you loved Jar Jar, didn't you? I bet you loved him. Jar Jar's my favouritist. No, I knew it. I knew it. No, he's terrible. Though I I do subscribe to the theory that Jar Jar Binks was a secret Sith Lord. Yeah, I love that theory. Well, he, uh, he, I think it did cause basically the entire war, right? As well. Yes, it's the only thing that makes any sense as to why he's there. <laughs> Oh, I think we're actually we're wrapping up something into other podcasts that talk. Oh, is this garbage. is this still on? Podcast? This is still turned on. Yeah, fine. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. Follow me at single underscore out GB. Uh, follow- you can follow me at uh, not underscore that underscore guild. Thank you. Bye. Bye.